I'm Rob Skinner, and this is the Rob Skinner Podcast. Today on episode 84, I'm going to talk to Helen and Mohan Nanjidan. Mohan and Helen were baptized as students in London in the 80s. They've led churches in India, Singapore, and the UK. They've got two children, Priya and Raul, who are active members of our churches in Birmingham and Glasgow. In this episode, you'll learn how they went from student converts in London to leading the London church. How Mohan arrived at his wedding riding on a white horse. How they managed to reunify nine splintered churches in London back into one healthy and growing church again. How they led Hope Worldwide charity in India in the early 2000s. And how they've each met and led two people to Christ last year during COVID. They talk about the advice they'd give to their younger selves to be open, to be vulnerable, and never stop being bold. And finally, how they've made ministry a lifelong passion and not a passing phase. All this and more on episode 84 of the Rob Skinner Podcast. Welcome back to the Rob Skinner Podcast. My goal is to inspire you to live a no regrets life, to make this life count, and to multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. I am so fired up today because Mohan and Helen Nanjidan, leaders of the church in London, have joined me today and they're going to be sharing about their life in ministry, what they've learned, and what's helping them to grow through COVID and the many challenges we're facing during this time. It's been a great, great time for me. Recently, I've been interviewing for the leadership for the Flagstaff team, had some amazing interviews, so I'm really getting excited about that. The team is forming. There's a lot of excitement about the Flagstaff team, so that's something I'm doing this summer and looking forward to seeing that church get off the ground. I've also uh, had a chance to revamp our website in our church in Tucson, which has been great. Had had some brothers help me with that. And doing a March campaign, uh, something I got from Tony saying, we've been praying every morning at 7, you know, for anyone in our church who wants to pray. I'm doing a number of different things just to help our church get revived and kind of come out of its sluggishness from COVID. So I'm looking forward to seeing God work as a result of that. Another thing I'm thrilled about is, uh, along with Joel Pede and Joel Nagel, two, two really great friends, we're planning a small church leadership conference in Dallas, Texas, December 2nd through 5th of this year. And we just feel like the need is is huge, not just probably not primarily for information, but for fellowship, just just to encourage one another. And so if you are an up and, up and coming leader, you want to serve, if you are a small ministry, maybe you're leading a Bible talk or a small family group or whether you're paid or non-paid, doesn't matter. If you're leading a small ministry, or if you're leading a small church, I want to encourage you to come to Dallas December 2nd through 5th. That's like a Thursday night through Sunday and join us. It's going to be hugely encouraging. And we've got some great plans to provide material for your ministry planning for 2022. 
And more than anything, it's going to be like 48 hours of tons of encouragement and fellowship to really build each other up, to strengthen each other in God, and to come out into 2020 fired up and ready to go. Mohan and Helen, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Oh, it's so great. I'm just, I I was talking to you guys beforehand, but I'm so happy to meet you in person. I, I know we've met in passing at conferences, but to be able to talk to you, I've heard your name so many countless times. And every time I hear your name, it's in some different spot, whether it's in India, whether you're leading Hope, now you're leading London, you're always doing something new. And so I'm just so happy to hear your story today and to be able to share it with people that want to make this life count. Can you just start by sharing, how did you guys become Christians? Me first, okay. <laughs> well, I was, I'm from a Hindu background, and, uh, but uh, you know, didn't grow up particularly religious. Uh, in my teens, I had a brief period where I asked my grandfather to, you know, teach me a few things about the faith that I was supposed to know about. And uh, it didn't go very far because uh, I wasn't finding God. And as with so many people around the world, that's when uh, in my teens, I prayed my first sincere prayer, which is, you know, God, if you're out there, help me find you one day. Mm -hmm. And then I proceeded to live a life of rampant sin for the rest of my late high school years. When I went into university, I had some friends who were from uh, sort of evangelical churches. And uh, for a couple of years, they wrestled with me and did some of the hard work of getting me to believe that Jesus is the only way. Um, but after a couple of years with them, I grew dissatisfied, mainly because I felt like we weren't evangelistic enough. Mm -hmm. And so I was so excited when I was invited to a Bible discussion in my hall of residence, in my dorm, as a master's degree student, where Doug Arthur was leading the Bible discussion. We were in Doug Jacoby's room, and I had been invited by one of the other guys who was studying the Bible, who was a friend of mine. And, um, you know, there was a, a lot of religious people in the Bible discussion. So Doug tailored, tailored the discussion to us and called it uh, Ambassadors for Christ or something like that. And, uh, and, you know, I stayed on after everybody had left and told them of my desire to, you know, to, to learn to be effective evangelistically. And Doug said, uh, I can show you some studies that I do with people. And, uh, <laughs> you know, within, within, within a few weeks, I realized, okay, this is, uh, this is not just for me to share with others, but I, I had some things wrong with my own beliefs and needed to repent and be baptized. Amen. And uh, that, was in, that was in June of 1983. Wow. How about you, Helen? Well, I was born and raised in Singapore, and I came from a very a staunch uh, Catholic family. I uh, did my studies in Singapore, and I graduated uh, from the university in Singapore, and then uh, got a job um, in human resources, you know, uh, at the age of 22, and uh, and then I uh, continued working for about 13 years. And after doing 13 years of HR, hiring and firing people and doing any, everything in between, I got a bit tired. And so I decided uh, to go to London to do my master's. Uh, 
and uh, I just um, with trembling went to my boss and told him, you know, would you give me some time out to go and do my master's? And, uh, and he was very kind. He said, you know, um, we will keep the job open for you for one year, you know, go do your master's and come back. So I went off to London, uh, studied at the University of London and did my master's in organizational behavior. And uh, I was staying in the hall of residence, um, it's called International Hall. And a sister who was staying in the same hall of residence, uh, two doors away from me, invited me uh, one day to uh, just to come to an event in the church. And uh, being a Catholic, I was looking around for something Catholic because my whole life, I, I, I don't know anything other than being a Catholic. So uh, when I went to church, it was so different from what I was raised up in. People were so friendly, uh, they were happy. And uh, soon after that, you know, um, I started some Bible studies and I was baptized in January of 1986. January of 1986, okay. So did you guys, did you guys start dating immediately? How did you guys meet? Well, uh, in that summer, the summer of 85, we had our first uh, summer campaign in, uh, in London. We had uh, you know, hundreds of American disciples that were over with us. And uh, we had these 24-hour prayer chains going. And anybody could put down a prayer request. And one of my prayer requests was that, uh, that in the campaign, we would meet an Indian sister that I would marry and be able to go to India with. And Helen was met in the September, right after the campaign, and was baptized in January 86. And she was, I was her first date in the church. And uh, now I told uh, Doug, Doug Arthur, after that date, I said, I want to marry her. But, uh, <laughs> but our paths diverged. You know, she, she, she actually had to go back to her job in, in Singapore. And uh, I was going on the mission team to India. I had already decided I was going to go on a mission team to India. She was a very young Christian and not ready for those decisions. So she went to Singapore. I went to India. Uh, but she had it on her heart to go into the ministry. Do you want to share about that? And yeah. How you came to India? Okay. Well, you know, I went back to my job. And uh, when I went back in 1986, August of 1986, there was no church in Singapore. The team was not scheduled to come until 1988. So I was there in Singapore by myself. And in the meanwhile, um, some Singaporeans converted, you know, in different parts of the world, in the US, in Canada, and I came from the UK. And so they all came back home uh, one by one. And there were like uh, five of us. And so uh, we, I, I was advised to go to the most uh, kind of open traditional Church of Christ in Singapore. And so I did. But uh, after a while, uh, five of us got there. They were not, they already were not very happy with uh, a new church, I mean, the ICOC coming into Singapore, and they uh, practically told us, you know, 
not bad, not it's not the best to come back there. So five of us met in our apartment, in my apartment, and uh, we listened to tapes, you know, uh, sermon tapes uh, from amazing, um, you know, uh, leaders uh, from around the world. We prayed and uh, we waited until the team came in 1988. And so that's where, you know, we, um, you know, started church uh, with the mission team. And then uh, after about uh, one, uh, no, after about a couple of years, you know, I was uh, encouraged to consider the full-time ministry. Uh, it was a frightening experience after being in the corporate world for about 15, 16 years and uh, really had to pray, you know, and, uh, but at the end of that time, I realized that, wow, you know, I do so much for my organization in the world. And, uh, and what about all these lost people in my city and around the world, you know, they need to be reached out to. So with some persuasion, I went into the full-time ministry and uh, in Singapore. And after about a year, I moved to India. And uh, that is how Mohan and I got connected again in India. Okay. She she moved to date another brother though. <laughs> and I was, I was dating someone else. But uh, both of those relationships uh, fell apart about a month of each other, you know, and okay. so, and so then in January of two th of uh, 1991, she moved to Mumbai, uh, where I was leading as a single man, and uh, we we led together, uh, started dating in March, got engaged in May, married in September. In 1991 in Mumbai. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. so let me ask you this. You led a church all by yourself. Now, what was that like? You, you weren't even married at the time. Yeah, no, that was, it was awesome. You know, it was, it was, I made a lot of mistakes. I had uh, <laughs> most, most of that time I co-led with Jan Blau, Jim Blau's mother. Um, she, was, she was in her 60s and I was in my late 20s. And uh, we called ourselves the odd couple for obvious reasons. But, uh, but she was, I mean, what an amazing heart, you know, so, so much, so much fire and faith at, an age, at that, at that stage in life on her own after Jim and Donna had left, uh, left Mumbai and come to London and the Metins had taken the mission team to New Delhi at that time. And um, so uh, I made a lot of mistakes. I, in particular, I was sometimes in, insensitive to her and to the needs of the sisters, you know, um, but uh, you know, I was I was living my dream, you know, from, from the time I was a young Christian, I I remember asking, hey, can we can we have a mission team to India? I hadn't actually grown up in India, hardly at all, just very little. But uh, you know, like so many of us, um I just thought, well, what have I got to offer? I'm I'm Indian at least by heritage, <laughs> and I we don't have any churches there. So right. you know, could can I go? And so no, it was great. Okay. So yeah. one of the things that I, I find interesting, it's, I mean, there were so many high powered people converted in those early days in London. And I think about, you know, Mark, Mark Templer, uh, Nadine Templer, and there's a lot of people associated with that time. Can you just, 
I mean, it, it kind of formed the core of the Commonwealth ministry, you know, the whole, the whole region or the, you know, it was called the uh, world sector at that time. Can you share some of the people that you were friends with, your, your uh, partners at that time? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but before that, let me just share quickly to lead into that. Yes, go ahead. Um, because it's relevant even right now. Um, and that is that, you know, first of all, the, the method was really faith. You know, I was baptized right near the end of the uh, first year of the London planting. And um, uh, I would, later on, I found out that, uh, that in the, right around this time, right around March in uh, 1983, when the church had been here for 10 months or whatever, eight months or nine months, you know, um, it wasn't going that well. They set themselves a, a goal to have uh, 50, to see by faith 50 people uh, become Christians. And they were, they were behind on that goal. And the leadership just collectively decided we're going to repent. You know, we're, we're going to have faith and, and just go for it. And then, and I say this right now because we're in COVID, it's hard to evangelize and you wonder what God can do, you know. Um, and back then it was, we were approaching exam time in university and, and stu students over here, they hunker down. And even now, there's always a sense of it's difficult during those months approaching end of year exams. And, um, and, but it, in that time, after the leadership decided to repent, um, Tim Dannett was baptized, who's an evangelist still today. John Louis was baptized. I was baptized. Um, and maybe even some others. And it was all, I was baptized. I was baptized 10 days before my master's degree exam. And, uh, <laughs> and I, but I, I remember, and, and when we hit those, those crucial points in the studies, I remember sitting in my library at university and having my books open, trying to revise for my exams, and I couldn't get my eternal decision out of my head. And I knew this is more important than that, you know? And I remember closing my books, going to the back of the library where I knew there were Bibles because I hadn't brought my Bible in with me to the library. And I picked one off the shelf uh, just to note down some questions that I wanted to ask Doug Jacoby, you know? and um, wrestling with it and deciding. And, you know, honestly, as a result of that, I, I barely passed my master's degree exams. I didn't do as well as I could have, but I made the right decision, you know? And um, so those were some of the people. And, um, you know, Tok Shawulu came here in the same year that Helen was baptized. He was in my Bible talk and he's, he's here with me now. He's a fellow elder and evangelist and uh, one of the region leaders in London. Charles Elikwu was baptized in the same year that I was. And uh, he went on to lead, plant the church in Accra in Ghana, uh, uh, having gone on the Lagos mission team. And he's now one of the senior evangelists here. Uh, Mike D'Souza was baptized uh, a few months before me. Uh, Vicky Jacoby was baptized a few months before me. Um, uh, who else? I'm sure there are others that I'm, I'm forgetting, but um, Archie Kendall was baptized a number of years before me. He's not in the full-time ministry now, but it's still a, you know, very active uh, Christian in the churches here. So, um, so yeah, you're right. You know, it was, it was, there was the, the, some of the leadership of the later Commonwealth was baptized in that first year, year or for two years. Why, why do you think that is? That's something I've, I've noticed. And it's something I mentioned in a previous podcast about going on a mission team. It's crazy how oftentimes the first year or two of a church planting 
you convert the core of the future leadership for maybe the next several decades. It's amazing. What what do you, what, what is it? What do you think it's creates that? You know, it's hard to answer the question why because I don't remember a particular strategy other than let's go evangelize students. Mm. So I think maybe that was a key thing is just deciding to invest in student ministry because uh, you know that so many of our leaders have arisen from that. Mm. Um, uh, uh, and so I think, yeah, I don't know. Just, just I would say, just trust that that God will provide what you need, including including leadership, including future leadership. And uh, um, uh, don't think that don't think that you're not the one that God could use. You know, right. don't worry too much about cultural differences or anything like that. Mm-hmm. The gospel is the gospel is the gospel. Mm-hmm. You know, the Americans who came to London made a lot of cultural mistakes. The mission team that went to India made a lot of cultural mistakes. But we you know the same thing happened there. And so it really is about, I mean, the Bible says that uh, the power is in the word, you know, but our part is to believe it and be bold and trust that God will work through our faith, uh, even if we make a lot of mistakes and method, <laughs> you know. Right. right, exactly. Yeah. Now, if you could just quickly recap your ministry journey, you guys have been all over the place. Um, You've mentioned a few places, but if you could just share from your conversion to where you're at right now, where have you been and the years associated with those places? Sure. Want me to just do that? Or yeah. You want to go first? Or want me to just do that? Well, okay. Um, maybe I'll just share a little bit about my journey uh, from London to Singapore. And then I uh, started off in India, in Chennai, and then to Bangalore. And then to Mumbai. Um, I can pick it up maybe there. Yeah, so right. M- Mumbai, yeah. we were married. And then uh, after we'd been in Mumbai together for a couple of years, we, uh, we, were, we were transferred to Delhi. We really needed some help. I and mean, we were, that's another crazy thing is we were leading a church as newlyweds with no one to help us in our marriage. So we were, <laughs> we were fighting cats and dogs, you know. And, uh, but also the ministry had, you know, it was, it was not going quite as, 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 as we would have wanted. Um, and we were so excited to be in Delhi, you know, 15 minutes drive away from Mark and Nadine Templer, who helped us in our marriage in so many ways. And uh, we learned a ton being there with them. Um, but after we'd been in Delhi for about a year, uh, the Arthurs asked us if we would um, oversee the Hope Works. In back then, we were organized in world sector, so in in, in those countries, um, we continued to lead a, lead, a, lead a small region of the church and uh, always loved the ministry. So it was in, 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 in the years that followed, we, you know, uh, there were two types of, we loved all of our hope colleagues, but there were two types, you know, there was those that came out of the ministry and came with a particular evangelist perspective, you know, and then there were those who came out of secular work and they brought all of their strengths with them. Um, so we were definitely of the former. We lived, um, during the time we were serving with Hope Worldwide, we also lived for a couple of years in Singapore. Helen's uh, father had passed away. Her mom was getting on in years. She really wanted to spend a little bit of time there um, and had felt like she'd been away for a while. So our family relocated. Um, that was nine, That was 2001 and two. Um, and then, um, uh, then we were really smart. So at the end of 2002, I'm saying that sarcastically, at the end of 2002, we, uh, we wanted to go back in the full-time ministry and uh, we were hired 
uh, by the Templars to lead a region in London, not knowing what in the world was going on, you know, beneath the beneath the surface. So, uh, so we we lasted here six months, and then uh, <laughs> back in, in you know, for those of us that have the collective memory of those days, um, all of us were let go, all ministry staff, and then we had to go back to India. So in India, then we were there 2003 to 2009. We actually just had secular jobs. The Indian churches offered us a ministry job. Our faith was damaged at that point uh, to some extent, you know. Um, we, but we kept, we kept serving as family group leaders. I served as a trustee of the church. Um, you know, uh, Helen actually did some really inspiring things with Hope for Children during that year, helping with uh, our international adoptions uh, program. And, and, and then in 2009, we moved back to London and we've been leading the London church since April 2010. Okay. You guys have been up and down. So you were, you're working a secular job. What was the job that you were doing back in, in India? I was totally God bro. Because I, my, my resume just said uh, ministry and, and hope worldwide. So I, I tried to get a few jobs with charities that didn't work out. And then what happened was um, as you know, as God would have it, Randy McKean had moved to Florida and he was working with some former evangelists in a, uh, structural engineering company so he phoned me up in february of 2005 so i spent a couple of years just doing odd jobs and contracts that lasted a short time on various whatever i could get you know um but then he phoned me up and said hey bro do you want to open a structural engineering company in, in <laughs> india and the first thing i said was what is structural engineering <laughs> so basically through you know it's through just through god and through friends in the church you know through the kingdom uh, I, I opened a architectural and structural engineering company, uh, that, that served the, the head office down in Florida. And, uh, that's how God provided income for a few years, you know, but, uh, Oh my gosh, that's just yeah. crazy. Okay. I mean, that, that would probably break many, many people, what you guys went through. And I, I know that London went through some challenging times, but what, Okay, London went through a, a real tough time and probably one of the toughest that I've heard of in, in the broader kingdom in terms of just the upheaval and stuff. But what, what helped to stabilize it? You know, what, what helped it to kind of pull back together and then end up hiring you guys? Uh, okay, so they, they, uh, uh, the region where we had served, we kept connected with. And so we... Um, so it was in 2007, we uh, basically, I, I negotiated with my, with my bosses to do some overtime and take a month off in the summer and just come at our own, mostly at our own cost and uh, try to help in the region. The, the region had now become a church. So uh, London was actually nine churches. Wow. And, uh, and so they came, they, because they actually, they still felt close to us. And so they asked in 2005, they asked in 2007, I think, a couple of times they asked and we just didn't have the faith to come back. In 2008, they invited us to do a marriage retreat, but it turned out to be an interview in disguise. You know? <laughs> and, uh, so at that point, what we felt like is some things have changed. You know, There did seem to be a seriousness about actually wanting leadership and getting going again. And, and for me, all those years doing secular work, I in my heart, I knew... Um, uh, my faith was damaged, 
And I also knew I'm not, I'm not, I felt deeply in my heart. I'm not living up to all that God has put, put in me and all that he's invested in me, all the training, all the discipling, all the help, all the experience, you know. But we, we asked some questions. You know, one of the questions I asked was, aren't there any Brits that are putting up their hands for ministry jobs? And the answer came back, no, there are not, you know. And uh, then we went and looked at the finances and we thought, we realized, okay, they could probably support us for about a year and a half, you know. And after that, who knows what would happen, you know. And uh, we got advice. Some people said it's the craziest thing to decide to do when your kids are in their early teens and this and that. And other people said, oh, yes, you should move. It would really help, you know. So there was this one point in, the, in late 2008 where we looked at each other and I said, they don't have the money. And Helen said, what do you think? And I said, I think if you know the sin, you, if you know the good you ought to do, and you don't do it, then it is sin for you, you know? Wow. And uh, so we just decided, okay, if we can help, you know, we, we really need to be open to it. And that's how we came. And But when we came, we were hired by the West London Church, I see. not even by the London. And then in that first year, a few of us together, at that time, the, the church was led. It wasn't, so obviously it wasn't one church, but the guy who was coordinating and trying to hold things together valiantly was Malcolm Cox. Um, Malcolm did a great job in pulling us all together and uh, leading just a series of conversations, you know, that led to almost everybody agreeing, we need to come back together again. And that, uh, so most of the church came back together again in uh, January, at the end of January, 2010. And uh, at that time, Malcolm was, was serving on his own. His wife, Penny, it's a lovely sister. She's a, she's a, she's a doctor. She didn't really want to go back into full-time ministry. And that, as, as his responsibilities grew, that put pressure on her as well, you know? Wow. So, so I, you know, a couple of months later, Malcolm and some of the other senior leaders asked if Helen and I would. We were the only couple on staff, by the way, at that point. That's amazing. So the, the amazing growth of the vibrant women's ministry started with just her being courageous enough to, you know, that's that's the, gutsy. The, the, the Flemings were in Birmingham, so Helen wasn't the only woman on staff in the UK. But uh, and 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 I think Chevy Siobhan Danik had, had always stayed on staff in the Thames Valley, um, but in London we were the only couple. Okay, that brings up a few questions. One thing you said there were no Brits to hire. What were you raised in in England, or what? What's your nationality? Uh, where it's British now. But uh, I was I was born in my dad was in the UN, so we lived in New York. We lived in Vienna. Um, I was here in 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 high school, in boarding school, and university. Um, and uh, yeah, and then when I became a Christian, I wanted to. I mean, I hadn't lived in India much, but I wanted to go back to you know. Okay. Just so, to help, you so know? because your dad was a diplomat, you had Indian citizenship, but essentially you were a citizen of the world. You were all over the place growing up. Yeah, pretty, totally. pretty amazing. Yeah. What an awesome conversion to convert a person like you with all that worldly experience. Pretty amazing. Amen, bro. Every conversion is amazing, but thank you. <laughs> that's that's pretty awesome. <laughs> Let me ask you this, Mohan and, and Helen. When you guys were converted in London, and so, if someone were to go, you know, just tell you at that time, hey, guess what? You know, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, you're going to be leading this church. What, what, what would you have said? What would you have said? I would have said, I don't think so. 
No, I was I, for, for me the dream was India. You know, I thought I thought I would live, I would go and live and die there. You know, so um, that would have been a strange. It would have been a strange thought. It would have been a strange thought, and I, because there were there, right after we were married, there was kind of an attempt to bring us back here for a year. You know, or something like that. Right, and, and I. I I resisted so much, you know, <laughs> just, just because it was so much. The dream was in India. Right, know? right. Oh, I, I remember those days, the one suitcase challenge and Jim Blout. Oh, you know, it was so inspiring just what was happening there. Um, if you could, you know, talking a little bit about India, can you share some of your favorite memories of those early days? Because I remember as a young Christian, Jim Blau came to the San Francisco church where I'd become a Christian there at Berkeley, and he did a lesson, and he turned it, um, turned off all the lights in the hall where we were meeting. It was the congregational building there, and and I, I can't remember the title. I think it was like, um, The World is Covered in Darkness, and he preached he preached an amazing lesson. And I, he, he talked about the one suitcase challenge, how the, the missionaries who went to India just took one suitcase, nothing else. And, <laughs> and I remember him receiving the honorarium and he said, just put it in the contribution. I, I don't even want it. And I was just like, whoa, this guy's intense, man. I just was so challenged. But there were so many stories like that coming out of India at the time. Can you just share some, some of the highlights? Yeah. Uh, you know, for me, I moved from Singapore um, to India, a country that my parents were born in India, but they moved to Singapore in their late 20s. And I've never lived in India before. And so it was a bit of a, you know, culture shock. Uh, but, you know, I think I really, really loved um, just to see the diversity, you know, there's so many, so much to learn, there's so much to experience. But in the church, uh, I think the thing that really moved me is the simplicity and the humility of the hearts of the disciples. Uh, you know, you find a small room, a little room, eight to a family of seven to eight living in one room with a little stove at the corner. And uh, everything was, life was simple for them. And, uh, you know, they were so hospitable, you know. I mean, even though they live in a crowded uh, one-room place, sometimes they, they are so happy to have you over, to share what, you know, whatever little that they have. And that really moved my heart. You know, it's not, you know, you've got to have this huge, you know, set up, you know, if you're inviting somebody over, so simple. And, and also, you know, uh, they, they really want to search for the true, um, true God, even though they're surrounded with so much of idolatry, they are hungry and, um, you know, really hungry to find the truth even to the point of being persecuted. I mean, they are ready to do that. And that was really very, very moving for me to see how eager, how simple, how humble. Um, and that really kind of uh, moved me. So, and there are other kind of, of course, um, you know, highlights, you know, for us, of course, you know, we started dating and got married in India. 
you know, it's like, you know, I mean, Mohan came on a white horse, <laughs> you know, in a typical Indian um, literally bro traditional way I, you know <laughs> so i came to my wedding on a white horse oh that's so awesome oh my yeah. gosh <laughs> and then um we adopted both our kids from an orphanage in india both our children uh as babies so that was all wonderful memories you know and and there are, there are so many more but uh i think the moving part was just uh, the simplicity of life and their faith and how they love uh, the word of God. Wow. Yeah, for me, you know, in many ways, I mean, Jesus saved my life, but in many ways, um, also India kind of saved my soul as well, because uh, I was a spoiled, you know, spoiled Western kid, Westernized kid anyway. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, the thing I remember was when we went to India today, is in many ways a more happening place in terms of economy, you know, but it wasn't so in the 80s. And um, when we went there, um, honestly, bro, the, the, the church was the biggest thing happening in town. And what I mean by that is, you know, uh, people didn't have phones. So when we would evangelize, when we would evangelize and talk to people, it was so fascinating. We'd get invited to lunch while we were evangelizing, you know, and then, um, uh, it, they didn't have phones, so what we would do is we bought these really cheap, plain postcards, no pictures or anything, from the post office, and uh, we would all, at the end of the day, we would all sit together in this little tea shop, and uh, we'd write out these, uh, we had their addresses, you know, so we'd write out, the, that's how we did our follow-up, and we posted it, and so many people came because no one ever sent them a postcard, you know. <laughs> we, we had, uh, we had, um, I remember Bible talks on the roof of the, when we first moved, we all stayed in this, this, we called it the cockroach motel. And, uh, <laughs> and but I remember Bible talks where there were, you know, 30, 40, 50 people, um, all crowded on the roof, you know, and, uh, those, those, those hotel owners, uh, I, I don't know. They were like angels, you know, they, they were, there, there was, there was a, a couple of times, once in Mumbai, once in Bangalore, when we had, persecution connected with some of the converts especially the women converts who we had where families will, would allege you know kidnapping or some sort of abuse or whatever and, and uh, we always we wanted to protect mark because he was the the foreign missionary so <laughs> i i ended up in jail you know a couple of times only for a few hours oh only for a few gosh. hours in, while, while there were kidnapping charges that were trying to be uh pushed pushed against us but which obviously didn't succeed because the disciples faced persecution rather than you know um rather than slander us um and um yeah there was so there was there was i mean that kind of stuff also to be honest with you there was also times where i i got fearful and was looking over my shoulder because of the because of the persecution but then i you know the brothers would tell me hey you need to repent, you know, <laughs> you can't be looking over your shoulder. And I pull myself together again, you know, and, but, but all, all of that, I mean, it was, it was, I don't know, it was like stepping into the first century in some ways, you know, right. The power didn't always work. Water didn't always, wasn't always there. The, um, yeah. we didn't have a TV, you know, uh, later, later on we did, we had TV and a VCR, but, uh, not at first, <laughs> uh, 
and um, and that's what I remember. The disciples were very joyful. They faced many of them faced beatings from their family. The women did even, um, but they didn't give up. You know, and many of them are still faithful today and have kids who are disciples. You know, um, that, it's, and and you know, it's seeing the poverty, seeing the poverty as well at every street corner. Um, it definitely disciples, disciple the, you know, the greed out of me. So were you, were you on the Bangalore mission team with Mark and yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 That's I heard, right. I heard about that when I was living, oh, I can't even remember when that was, but definitely as a younger Christian, there was some intense persecution. And, uh, on a recent few years ago, I went to visit. India and I went to Bangalore and I was asking about because I'd heard about a guy um, who got beat and and I actually met the person I think his name is Suresh or um, is that right is that his name um, but in any case it was just intense a huge street riot happened and now were you there during that time I don't remember that one. I mean, okay. I remember uh, other other street riots. I mean, there was one. Um, yeah, there was one. There was one case again with one of the one of the sisters. Um, uh, you know, her um, her husband, I guess, instigated. He he actually went and uh, uh, rallied a bunch of local gangsters. Who? Um, yeah, I mean, so they, they they there was me. There was another brother, an, Eng an English brother from the mission team. And uh, his fiance, and uh, and then this sister, this new convert, and her husband uh, basically alleged. I don't know what he alleged. Again, that we had we were you know Westerners who had arrived and were abusing Indian women or something. You know, so this whole crowd of of gangsters all rallied around me and um, and and the others, and um, on the streets, the police weren't going to do anything about it. And, uh, but I remember in my mind, the verse came, um, Jesus walked through the crowd because his time had not yet come. Wow. And so I looked at the, the brother and the two sisters and I said, just follow me. <laughs> and we, wow. we walked through the crowd and they were a little bit <laughs> bewildered, but then they came and, and crowded around us again, you know? And, um, and I don't know why. Then I thought, this guy, this husband, he's a He's not a man of integrity. There's something up here, you know. I don't, maybe it was just the spirit telling me. So I just said, what do you want? You know, what is it you want? So I thought this guy is not as noble as he's making out, you know, and as he's told these other people. And all he wanted, turned out he did have a really base motive. He had given his wife this beautiful watch or something, or not for him, expensive watch. And that's all he wanted. She gave him the watch and then, you know, and then all the other gangsters, who actually thought that they were, you know, um, persecuting us for India or something. And, you know, they were, they turned on him. <laughs> oh my gosh. So it was, it was, yes, it was kind of one of those, uh, I don't know, what, Corinth stories where they, they turned on the synagogue ruler or something, you know? That's, that's absolutely amazing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. Crazy. Now, if you could go back and give your younger selves a little bit of, if you could just have a little D time, with your younger self, maybe 30, 40 years ago, what, what would you advise yourself? Um, 
Well, you know, um, there are several things, but I think for me, uh, you know, as, as a woman uh, who feels a lot of emotions, a lot of uh, anxiety and insecurity, uh, I think one of the things, um, you know, one, what I would have uh, told myself is to try and be a bit more open and vulnerable about, you know, what we go through. Um, uh, being in the ministry, uh, you know, it has its highs and and lows. And, uh, you know, and, and I think uh, for myself, you know, I have the, a tendency to put um, uh, expectations on myself that, you know, uh, that others don't put on myself, you know, on, others don't put on me and uh, uh, you know to uh, be able to express uh, you know when I'm feeling overwhelmed or you know when I'm feeling anxious or fearful and a lot of the reason a lot of the times I had a hard time expressing those things um, because uh, you know it, it, it come across as uh, a weakness you know, everybody around you are, they are okay, but, but a lot of that is also my own pride, you know, it's just um, trying to be strong when you're not really strong, but I think it's really important to, to express those things and to take it to God, and I think um, sometimes I'll just have a go at Mohan, you know, <laughs> instead of, <laughs> instead of taking it to God, and then he has got to feel the brunt of all my fear and anxiety and frustration. <laughs> and a lot of times, uh, you know, we can put this on ourselves and uh, to be more in tune with, uh, you know, how you feel. Transitions are hard. You know, we want, we've been through so many transitions and uh, normally we find it hard to express is, oh, we are here, you know, we're supposed to, you know, make the best out of it, but then, uh, transitions are, are, it is difficult and um, uh, to be able to express that and not to feel uh, like you cannot because you have to kind of, you know, prove that you know, you're on the mission field and you're supposed to be tough and not get down. And uh, I think it took a long time for me to, uh, to understand that, you know, to be holistic you know, to really care about uh, yourself as well, spiritual, emotional, physical. And um, I uh, did uh, go through some health challenges uh, when I was in India, you know, and, uh, you know, when you don't express what you're feeling and how you're feeling, and if you don't take it to God and look at the scriptures to find healing, then that can get so bottled up. Uh, inside of you. And I think that's really important, especially if you are, you know, starting off in the ministry um, to, uh, to be able to express, but at the same time to do what is right in the eyes of God. Mm, that's great. Thank you. I think for, for me, what I would tell my, my younger self is never stop being really bold. Mm. So I think the, uh, the, the, the period of my life that I kind of regret is that decade between um, 
2000 and 2010, probably especially the, the years from 2003 uh, onwards, although I think it had started even, even before that, you know, and I feel like uh, kind of uh, I had allowed my faith to get kind of domesticated or something. And, uh, you know, what was going on in our family of churches in our movement obviously fed, fed into that. Um, but, um, you know, I, and, and, you know, all things work together for good. I think because I look back at that time in the way that I do, it feeds into the convictions that I have now, which I'm grateful for. Um, but I, I, uh, you know, I, you know, John, John 15 teaches us how if we, um, if we have that radically obedient spirit, you know, remain, remaining in the vine and, uh, you know, we also get to experience asking whatever you wish and being filled with, with joy, you know, and I would just describe that decade as being, you know, maybe a time when, um, Jesus would have, if he was, if he was here in the flesh, he would have said to me, why are you still so dull, wow. you know, right. and, um, so I, I wish that in spite of everything that had been going on, I wish I had been one of those part of one of those little pockets where I was just still, you know, um, tell, proclaiming the gospel the way that I think God expects me to right. know, and relying on God. So right. don't hold back. God, what I would tell any young person is don't hold back. You know, God will always take care of you. Be bold in sacrifice. Be bold in evangelism. You know, God will never let you down. Right. You know, right. That's great advice. And I think, I think many people felt they, they, they second guess themselves and there had been some structural changes in the churches, but the gospel doesn't change and you you still need to be fired up about, about God and the gospel. So that's fantastic advice. Now you guys are in London and I was just looking up some information about London. I've been there one time, um, over 300 languages are spoken in Greater London. And in a recent census, it said London had a population of over 8 million people. Of that, 45% were white, British. 37% of the population is born outside the UK. And then 26% born outside of Europe. So, I mean, it's an incredibly diverse city. Uh, what are the demographics of the church itself? How how does that reflect in the church? Well, the church is super international. Um, it doesn't represent that demographic, you know. So we had, um, we I would say, if anything, um, uh, you know, we 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 need to do a better job helping white British people uh, to become Christians. So I, uh, you know, in two thousand and three, a lot of people left. And a lot of staff left, and uh, a lot of English leaders left, um, which I think really hurt. You know, so hence going back to an earlier part of this interview. You know, I I asked that question: Are there aren't there any Brits putting up their hands? You know, to go back into the ministry. Right. Um, and um, the the challenge since that time has been, you know, we just wanted the church to be evangelistic, full stop. You know, just even getting people's faith back to and, and their outward focus back uh, to us, that that that's a victory, you know. Um, and um, so, you know, we, we try to model that. Um, and um, I feel way better about the fact that the church is evangelistic and reaches out to all people indiscriminately. 
But at this point, I would say we are far more of an international church um, than we are a British church in some ways in London, in London anyway. Outside of London, it gets it's a little different depending on where you are. Okay. Um, so, um, yeah, like, like how large is the, how, yeah. may I ask, how large is the church in London? The church in London is a little over a thousand. It's about a thousand and twenty five. OK, um, so and then, when we all. Yeah. And then Go how ahead. many churches are there throughout Great Britain? Oh, I would have to count, but it, it's about about 15. Wow, 15. OK, yeah, yeah. that's fine. I'm, I'm sorry. I interrupted you. Go ahead. Oh, no, that's OK. I, I forgot. I lost my train of thought. Go ahead. Except when you first came to. Oh, no, that's all right. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. Now, is there like a plan? Is there like a master plan to reach all of the smaller cities of Great Britain? Well, what we did in, in, in our 2020 vision, we at first we um, thought about, uh, you know, we had some missions meetings. We wanted to go and particularly to replant some of our churches that had were cities where we once had had churches. Um, but then they they uh, they died, you know. Um, but amazingly, when we tried, God closed, kept closing the door. You know, we tried to hire people. We tried to locally, internationally. And then we got really convicted as a, I had a conversation with Joe Salippo, who's now in San Diego, but was then in Milan, where he talked about how he felt like his first obligation was to strengthen the churches that were there by trying to provide staff, you know, and uh, I put that to the other leaders and we all got convicted and then God started opening doors. So until 2020, we actually um, have focused on um, raising up staff for all the smaller churches. And we had a little bit of help from outside missionaries. Almost all of them have gone back now to the, uh, to the States. And uh, so we do have uh, local leadership and uh, nearly all our churches have full-time staff, um, which, is, which is great. And, but just actually just uh, this January, we planted in the midst of the pandemic, we planted the church in Cardiff. So um, in Wales. So we don't have a, um, we don't have a master plan. We actually, I mean, COVID has kind of um, delayed a little bit us talking about 2030, but uh, certainly the next decade um, you know, we would want to maybe every couple of years plant uh, the remaining ma major population centers around the UK. Okay. Okay. I mean, Great Britain has such a, just a tremendous spiritual legacy. I think about the revivals in the 1800s, Charles Spurgeon, the preaching. I know that, um, you know, so many American ministers went through their led revivals. I mean, it was just a hotbed and it seems to have cooled. And I, I, I'm sure that that must be very challenging um, to see kind of a, a cooling of the faith and to, to, to build the church. You mentioned earlier that when you went there, there were nine churches in London. Mm -hmm. And there was very, very few people on staff. You were one of the first to go on staff. I'm assuming now there's one church. How did you yeah. pull it together? Like, what was your strategy over the past 11 years or 10, 12 years that you've been there to reunify that church that was splintered? Well, I began, I began to share that Malcolm basically led us in a uh, process of, of talking. And the talks were mostly centered around, um, you know, what do we want to see happen? And uh, so by that time, as we were approaching 2010, most Christians, they, they wanted to move forward. 
they uh, realized that to have like strong campus and team ministries, um, we, we needed to pool resources. And so just thinking about uh, the vision of what we wanted helped us at that time. So what I would say has happened in the last decade is, you know, stabilizing is kind of a relative word in some ways because, um, you know, throughout the whole past decade or dozen years, there's, there's actually been quite, there's actually always been some destabilizing forces, you know, um, but what we've tried to do is stay unified around the gospel and stay and always make sure we call clearly uh, disciples to, to be disciples, to be true followers of Jesus, you know, for whom Jesus is Lord. We, we take very seriously that staff needs to be willing to present themselves as a model to follow. And, um, and, and, you know, we need to walk with other disciples and, and, and especially younger disciples, showing them how do you evangelize? How do you study with people? How do you disciple people? How do you pour out your heart to the week? How do you stay up late and wake up early, you know? Um, and, um, but in the process of that, you know, whenever you do that, to be honest with you, you know, I, I, heard, I, heard, I heard Mike Tolliver say a few years ago, um, uh, we're, you know, we're a half century old movement, so we're no longer in Acts 2, we're in Revelation 2. And um, <laughs> that's true in London, that's true across the United Kingdom, is there are, at any given time, and even now, you know, uh, tendencies to pull apart. So, you know, stabilizing is a, is a relative word. At, at, at any given time, we do have uh, pulls from factions and what have you, just all the things that we see in the Bible. I, and I think I think if you're, you know, so we, I've certainly done a number of things wrong, but at the same time, I think if you are doing things right, that's going to happen. Mm, yeah. Okay. So what, what's the best thing that you've seen come out of COVID? I mean, the best thing out of a bad situation in terms of ministry, anything that you go, wow, that's, that's really cool. This is going to be a blessing going forward. Mm. Well, you know, there are many things. Uh, I mean, just just learning new ways of of, of doing uh, ministry online. You know that um, that was never done before, and uh, uh, even just studying the Bible with 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 people online, especially women. You know, women who are moms, who have busy jobs and children, and uh, uh, they didn't have to travel in, uh, you know, in the busy London underground or buses uh, to go and uh, do a study, but they could do it, you know, from the comfort of their homes. And, and it has been really encouraging. Um, uh, last year, we saw more women than ever before be involved in Bible studies, you know, wow. uh, the goal, you know, what, uh, what was suggested is to try and get as many women as possible involved in Bible studies. Um, it's not so much the outcome, but just the experience of engaging in Bible studies. And that has been amazing because uh, it made it easier for women to make time in the midst of their busy schedule uh, to do that online. And um, just to technology, to use technology, you know, the best way possible. I know for myself, being older, I'm a bit challenged with technology, but I had to learn. I had to learn how to 
you know, I don't know, Zoom and, you know, uh, Google Meet and just it's a time of learning. And that was a time when I actually got a lot of help from the younger women mm. who are, you know, who were so good at this, right, you know. Right. So whatever I was weak in was supplemented by the young people who, uh, you know, it was their strength. And together, uh, we had uh, quite a great year last year in terms of uh, people becoming Christians. Wow, that's amazing. I, I think in, in, in all tests, you know, uh, it kind of clarifies where people are at. And so I would say I've been overjoyed to see, like, there's been some tough times as people have gone through whatever, anxiety, or they've struggled a lot with sin. But I've been encouraged by the number of victories, you know, as people have just pushed through and, um, you know, have had so much of what they normally use to support themselves, the social life that they have to support themselves, you know, as that's been taken away. Um, I've been encouraged to see people push through and become um, stronger. And, you know, obviously, you know, sadly, in, in some cases, um, you know, you also you also see the opposite in, in, in some people's hearts, um, but mostly for the most part, I've been encouraged with people um, growing in their character. I think in terms of um, in terms of techniques, methods, opportunities, um, you know, it's been a real revelation to, to figure out that you can study with lots of people online and, uh, um, you know, um, that, you know, how we use streaming and that kind of thing. And um, I think all of us are, you know, a little bit concerned that <laughs> once everything does open up, you know, we'll, people, you know, want to make sure that everybody, especially all the new Christians, some of whom have only experienced online church, you know, that everybody's uh, willing to uh, move their bodies on Sunday morning and at midweek and, you know, show up to things. Uh, right. But I, I think it'll be fine. Um, however, the, you know, just the gains of, of learning how you can do ministry using technology has been, uh, right. has been, uh, you know, it's been, I'm encouraged by that. Right, right. You know. One of the challenges these days is trying to inspire younger people to go into the ministry and to choose it as a career. It is a challenging field. It has one of the highest attrition rates. I mean, there's there's no doubt about it. There's a lot of challenges. And you've shared some of your challenges, you know, in and out of the ministry, church church changes and upheavals. But what's what's helped you to make ministry a lifelong passion rather than a, a passing phase? Well, you know, I think for us, uh, we've been, uh, we have not been in the ministry for a long stretch. We've been, you know, uh, kind of in and out uh, parts of our uh, Christian life has been devoted to helping the poor, uh, working in secular jobs. But um, I think what has helped is just always doing the ministry, no matter whether you're full time or not, you know. Uh, I think for me, what has helped is uh, just to always remember the basics, love God, love people, keep reaching out to, to, to the lost people, you know, helping the poor and, uh, you know, always try to be part of a, a Bible discussion. Uh, I don't remember a time when I was not part of a Bible discussion and, uh, uh, to just, uh, you know, uh, pray a lot and t 
just to do the basic things that God wants us to do and to keep it really simple. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah, uh, very similar. I mean, I would say, um, I would say read a lot. You know, I think, I think, um, I think that um, disciples who grow in their reading of, of, of the Bible and spiritual books, um, you know, they, they deepen and, and that, that does help just the freshness of insight and the reminders, you know, uh, that helps. But otherwise, what I would say is exactly the same as Helen is always do the basics, you know, always devote yourself to the basics, your, your quiet times and fellowship and uh, praying a lot with people, you know, helps me. Um, um, and also just always evangelizing. And by the way, if I can pay you a compliment, Rob, I, I try to follow some of your guidelines. And uh, uh, even during this lockdown, I, you know, I, I, we're allowed to go out for exercise walks. So I put on my masks and I've been inviting 150 or 200 people a month, kind of, at, you know, as per some of your, some, 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 of the, some of the things that you advise and teach. And wow. it's harder now, but there's an irreplaceable joy that 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 you know there's a sense of you know the spirit just bouncing alive in me when when just just by doing that and even just by being able to invite people to online church and tell them hey listen at a time like this we're just trying to spread some hope you know um and um i think some people obviously i don't i don't we i don't push that on people because right now some are not as confident with the infections that are around and all that but, um, you know, Helen's been brilliant with um, just figuring out these different apps, you know, next door and meet up. And she's had visitors and studies from that. And, you know, both of us had last year had a, had a, had a couple of people each, friends that we met, cold contact who became Christians. You know, wow. D you don't ever get too old for that, you know. Yeah. Um, so and lead from that. Lead from Mike, Mike Fontenot, who is uh, he's probably the. I mean, it's, you know, he's, he's, he's a discipler in my life. You know, I, I talk to him almost every week, but it's just, just some, some of the, some of the principles that, that he's, he's taught me is ne never be without someone who you're studying with personally, you know? Um, so it's just those, to us, it's just those simple rule of thumb, you know, practical things um, that, that, that have helped us stay fresh and uh, stay in it for the long haul. Wow. That's great. Great. What an awesome and inspiring example, especially because of, of COVID and the challenges. You could have simply uh, just called it called it a year and just said, oh, we'll come out in 2021. But amazing to hear that. Any final advice that you'd like to, to share with anyone who wants to make this life count? You guys have certainly experienced a lot. Any, any advice you'd give to a person who wants to live a no-regrets life? Well, I think... Um... You know, as, as you had pointed out early, earlier, uh, you know, ministry is not easy. It's got, uh, you know, it's challenges. It can also be most of the time a very joyful experience. And, uh, uh, you know, it can, it can be draining at times, you know, you, you got to face uh, criticism. You can feel inadequate or you can feel that it's too hard. But um, one of my convictions is so long as you do things for God and not for people, you can keep going, mm. you know, so long as, you know, you just, the focus becomes what we do, we do for God 
I think you can rise above those feelings and, uh, uh, you know, to, to remember that it's God's approval that we are striving for. And it can be hard sometimes, you know, but that's the only way to keep going um, long term. Mm. Yeah, that's that's right. It, I think that's right. It, it's about it's always make it about God, not about your vision or goals or, you know, those kind of things. Sometimes you achieve them. Sometimes you don't. And if you make it about that, then you get disappointed and disheartened, um, you know, when it doesn't go well. But um, or, or by your measure, it doesn't go well, you know. Right. Right. Um, but it needs to always be about God. I think even like in your home, for those that are those that are parents, when you're raising up kids, you know, bro, we 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 took we did a lot of things that in some ways were very foolish parenting-wise. You know, we, we took our kids through 17 homes, 10 different schools, you know. Um, some of those schools were were not even the best schools. And uh, and you know, we moved them to London when there was no teen ministry here in the region where we were moving to and a, a stable teen ministry in Delhi where we came from. Um, but we've tried to, we've, we've done a lot of, we've made a lot of mistakes, but we've, we've tried to always make it about God, not about the ministry. And therefore you can see everything in the context of God's big purpose and plan for your life, you know, whether it's the suffering such as it is, you know, um, or it's good days and the blessings, you know, um, and so I think that perspective, and therefore you want to live a no regrets life. Don't hold back, you know. I mean, it's it's we we uh, we went into the ministry in our youth. We went to India. We had a piddly salary, you know. We lived a lot of our adult life there, and then later in life we moved from a third world to a first world country, which is terrible for your financial planning and your retirement, and you know, but. The thing that I look at, I'm actually amazed at how God already knew that decades ago, you know, and provided for us. And um, uh, today I, we live in one of the most expensive cities in the world. We're okay, but we're taken care of. Um, our house is fully paid, which I never, you know, planned. Basically because my, you know, my, my it was because of the inheritance, because of inheritance money, but it was my dad, though he was a diplomat, was, was never a businessman or anything, you know, and he just somehow God allowed his savings, you know, to multiply in more than you'd expect, you know. And um, but that was just God knowing that that that, you know, knowing how he would provide for me at this and Helen and our family mm -hmm. at this stage of our lives, you know. That's and amazing. so don't just whatever God calls you to do, go to the third world go into the full-time ministry, you know, do it with zest, put your whole heart into it. Um, he's never, ever, ever going to let you down. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And if you make it about that, about God, not about your dreams and your visions and your aspirations, um, you, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's going to be, you'll be disciplined as well. And, uh, you know, he's gonna, he's gonna make sure that you get the training you need to be the holy person that he wants you to be, um, but you know that that's a lot better than than uh, than 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 settling for um, uh, settling for I don't know protecting your boundaries or 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 half faith life or whatever you want to call it you know so. Wow. 
I, I just recently taught a class on trusting God, and it talked about how um, the Christian life is like a marathon, but it's more than a marathon. It's like a, a marathon with an obstacle course in it. <laughs> and the thing that impresses me about both of you is that you're, you're running the race and you've never stopped. You may have slowed at times or stumbled, but you just keep on going. And he talks, it's Jerry Bridges' book, uh, Trusting God, and he's, he says that many, very few finish their Christian life well. And what inspires me about you is, is seeing you finish so strong. You're still, you're still going all out and you're still converting people, still reaching people, still uh, after being in and out of the ministry, you still have your inspiration. You still have your idealism. And what I hear you saying is because your faith is based on God, not on your performance and not on people, you're able to dust yourself off when you fall and then just keep on going. And uh, I just want to say thank you so much for a lifetime of inspiration. I've, I've heard about you since I was a young Christian, and now I finally get to talk to you. And it, it exceeds all my expectations. I want to wish you all the best in London. Thanks so much, bro. Thank and like, so likewise much. to you and you and Pam, you're an inspiration to us and to many. And uh, as I shared specifically, we even pick up practicals from you. So <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you're you. Welcome. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And I want to thank you for listening to the Rob Skinner podcast. Let me ask you a favor. Hit the subscribe button and let your friends know about it. Your church friends, your family, and how to find it. Let's spread the word. Because my goal is to inspire you to make this life count, live a no regrets life, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Have a great day and make this life count.